Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Ether is the perfect drug for Las Vegas. In this town, they love a drunk. Fresh meat. Come on, buddy. So they put us through the turnstiles and turned us loose inside. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dose of Ether. This is your host, Lucian, and joining me again this week is Evan Van Ness. How you doing, Evan? Howdy, y'all. I'm okay. How are you? Stir crazy yet? <laughs> I am not, actually. I'm, like, picking up hobbies. The park right next to my house is completely empty, so I'm going to play tennis for the first time since childhood. Um, there you go. Yeah, I gotta keep busy somehow my county which is the third largest county in america issued a shelter in place order which sounds a lot like martial law to me um basically telling us we're not allowed to go out for almost anything so of course as soon as this is over i'm gonna go out and enjoy my freedom because america reasons (laughs) i mean look I, i haven't been shaking hands for like two months because this thing is a real deal and if i was in government i would have been buying masks but like people can't tell me i can't go out that is literally martial law like totally against the constitution i totally totally am offended by that i guess actually like some two-bit two-bit local like government uh you know wannabe bureaucrat right it's um this country is too decentralized to be top-down, managed effectively. Um, this virus definitely exposed some core weaknesses, and the U.S.'s core weakness is central planning when anything involving multiple layers of government are involved. So, man, I I don't even know what the state of uh, what the state of Maryland has asked of me but to be honest i don't really care because i know good for you yeah (laughs) i I know exactly like how a virus is spread and the types of um countermeasures to prepare for it and i'm just happy i knew how to like secure my finances before all this shit went down and not get completely screwed over um and i managed to help my family a little bit as well i mean that's kind of the only thing I could be thankful for in the time being. Um, the fact that I was overly conservative financially makes me look like a genius in times of financial crises. Um, but in terms of like restricting personal civil liberties, there's very little likelihood that um, the U.S. can effectively enforce it. And... I'm not like recommending people like hang out on the beach in Florida in massive crowds, um, but like walking alone or in a park or like in a suburb like I am, I feel absolutely no responsibility to disrespecting any ordinance that prevents me from playing tennis in the park. Yeah, totally. I mean, uh, I saw the UK said like Boris Johnson said he's going to break up groups of more the police will break up groups of more than two people in the park like so i can't go walking with my wife and kids like if i lived in in london that's insane you know i mean right uh 
it um, also whatever. like anyway. all of these mandates just open the possibility of arbitrary enforcement because i doubt like that's you what personally... government is all about <laughs> arbitrary enforcement yeah and the people power attracts people who want to exercise arbitrary force um and especially right now i think all of the people who are currently in congress um writing a two trillion dollar checks to their homeboys um they're probably going to retire after this session because they've finally gotten a blank check to spend indiscriminately with a like mandate from the people to simply inject liquidity some of the details of what is being spent is insane it's ridiculous and the further you dig into it the more you realize that like the arbitrary discretion of how these funds are administered is the entire reason anyone ever goes into politics like they just wanted to be here right now to dictate which one of their friends gets like a blank check from the government <laughs> yeah anyway speaking of blank checks where's our transition from <laughs> on that one <laughs> speaking of blank checks we um we're blank probably going to be two trillion dollars more in debt the next show we have um so let's go to ethereum which is a digital currency with a programmatically enforced issuance that can't be printed on whim um <laughs> so it's not an unsustainable meme coin like the u.s dollar or bitcoin I've... by the way i assume that the u.s dollar will keep appreciating over the next you know i don't know x number of months because of flight to safety which oh, is yeah. one of the using bits of, of it all i expect it as well um and the funny thing is that you can't devalue a currency if every other currency is simul uh, simultaneously trying to devalue and inflate their own currency. Um, it's a very weird consequence of what happened post-financial uh, crisis. It seems like we learned all of the bad habits and now we're institutionalizing them now we're doing them as a knee-jerk reaction as opposed to even having moral discussions about like the fact that we're a corporate socialist state now um but yeah <laughs> so speaking of central banks maker had an auction this week <laughs> it's actually a very good comparison um because they essentially issued maker tokens to make up the $4.5 million shortfall in their um, coverage ratio to get back to their over-collateralized state. And the auction went off pretty well. Um, one of the first things that I noticed from the auction process that not having um, some background on the matter annoyed me quite a bit was the fact that it seemed like the maker foundation was winning all of the bids and i was thinking to myself like why is the maker foundation bidding for all of these and winning and why did they have like individual uh users set up a backstop to set up a minimum price for maker tokens if they were just going to buy all of the tokens, but you have a much better insight into this. 
Yeah, I don't know if exactly I I uh, have a better insight. I mean, I saw people speculating that uh, they were doing it for one of the capital venture capital funds uh, that had said they were going to participate. But and I know that there are, you know, um, crypto media articles out there saying that the Maker Foundation rejects accusations of participation in its debt auction. Um, basically, and and it and basically the line is that they are doing this for someone, and we assume it's the it's the it's the funds that said they would participate in the auction. Um, we'll link an article in which um, the Maker Foundation actually um, quotes themselves. Like, so I don't know how the organization is structured or where the press release came from, but it was from an official Maker um, webpage, either from the foundation or from the DAO that um, they claimed credit, that they the foundation itself won 33 out of the last 33 bids at the time of it. And we'll link that in the show notes. Um, the idea that they could be doing it on behalf of one of their uh, member investors actually does make a lot of sense um, because a investor could actually place a bid that has to go through the foundation because the venture capitalists themselves have non-voting shares um, that are held and managed differently by the foundation itself so that um, essentially the venture capitalists don't throw off the balance of the actual DAO voting mechanism. Um, so they're the equivalent of non-voting shares um, but because they're managed by the foundation that way. Um, but yeah, it's very interesting. My guess is it probably has more to do with the, like the fact that a lot of funds can't take custody or have to have custody solutions. Right. So they're probably basically just getting around the custody thing. That also That's works as well. Yeah. Um, the, the, um, the flops.live is the URL for the debt auctions tracker. Uh, in maker parlance, the they call these the the flop, and it has the the average price at two hundred forty four die for for a maker, which is a is a decent discount, but you know a reasonable discount on on uh, what MKR is is selling for, which is right now, which is about two sixty, and of course. The price has fluctuated some, and these auctions happened over the past four or five days. So, not too surprising that the numbers aren't exactly one to one. So yeah, it was a success. I think that's great. I mean, the system worked. It's great that Maker decided to ensure that the auctions worked, since that you know uh, this problem basically happened because their other auction didn't work. So yeah, and we got to see the backstop syndicate form, which I think was a really cool little community. I shouldn't say little, a, a very cool community effort to be 100% certain that it did work. And those folks were incentivized since they just issued a low ball bid. And, you know, so it all, all went together pretty well. Yeah, one of the, um, one of the proposals that came out 
from one of the developers slash community managers. <clears throat> I forgot his first name. Something Conti. Um, Mariano. Mariano. Yes. Thank you. Um, he proposed that rather than having a backstop, um, they would create something that functioned similar to the backstop, um, but it would actually bid on a more competitive or um, more likely to win price so that uh, smaller investors could break up some of the 50 die blocks um, to be able to actually like put bids in to the auction and get an uh, actual piece of the action because as you were saying before the backstop was originally set at a hundred dollars per uh, mkr token and it's been selling for between um, like 260 and 240 um, as you just mentioned and yeah it's thankfully not going to get very close to that hundred dollar mkr spot because the, the fear and the purpose behind the backstop was that if there was no bottom or low bid that supported the market, um, it's possible that they wouldn't have been able to sell enough maker tokens to make up the shortfall, and then DAI really would have been in trouble. Um, thankfully, it didn't get to that. And the mechanism worked as intended. Speaking of mechanism working as intended, I'm sure you have a lot of opinion about the Nexus Mutual insurance product that uh, recently had to vote on whether or not the um, the recent near zero bid auctions on the Maker platform were in fact um, the proper functioning of the smart contract. Yeah, so the way Nexus Mutual works is there is a token and basically there are incentives if you hold the token you can stake your token in order to uh, assess the risk on on the contract basically uh, to change like what rate the end user that is buying cover on on the contract on the code will pay or you can stake when there are claims and you can vote on the claims um, so uh, you know, there were these claims that came in from the maker, uh, you know, maker holders, sorry, from die. Yeah. From, excuse me, from vault or CDP holders who got liquidated and were claiming that it was, they wanted to, uh, get, you know, have a claim on the fact that they had lost their money on the auction. And unfortunately the whole point of smart contract cover is, Nexus Mutual is a, is a discretionary mutual, um, but the the contract smart contract cover is is there is there a bug in the code you know and there was no bug in the code the only thing that really went wrong is that people didn't there wasn't a second person that showed up to vote on these auctions and you know some of that was high gas prices but um, and some of that was there not being enough die liquidity in the system but as we discussed in our in our episode last week but really there was nothing really in the smart contract i hate the term smart contract by the way which is why i keep trying to avoid it but then i keep using it because everybody else uses it <laughs> uh, but there was nothing in the code that 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 went wrong i mean the code functioned perfectly so nexus mutual de de denied all the claims and you know there's a lot of people that are really upset about that and i understand where they're coming from 
like if you lost your you know whatever savings you had put into like the this thing then you probably feel really bad about it the flip side is that like you know i would feel worse if it was somebody that had lost their die right because if you lose your eth that you put into a cdp or a vault like that is inherently leverage and you have to know that you are getting leveraged up when you open a cdp or or a vault so by the way cdp is is what they call it in what they used to call it in psi and vault is what they call it in die and uh i mean you're like if you ever get leveraged up in any situation you are gambling right like you are like as, as you know the sayings go about you know like you, you either get rich or you go busto when you when you use leverage uh so yeah i don't know it sucks for them but if there was no fault in in the code in fact i would actually say that the BZX uh, issues previously, where there were two two different events. The flashlights. Uh, yeah, Nexus Mutual paid out the first one because there was uh, a bug in the code. Mm -hmm. After rejecting it the first time because uh, it wasn't really clear, uh, and then more info came in, and then it was clear that there was a check in the code that hadn't hadn't fired, and so the first one the claims were accepted, and the second one they weren't. I actually think that the the claims in the second one were closer to being something the mutual should have covered than the maker, the maker CDP auctions uh, mm -hmm. going off for almost zero. Just because, look, it was an it was an economic thing, right? They, if there had been one more auction bidder, then more or less would have gone off fine. So it sucks. I mean, uh, this is why we like repeat ad nauseum: DeFi is risky. Right. Yeah, it's it's comparable in risk to BitMEX, but there is no counterparty which you could hold responsible if essentially the economic mechanisms don't produce a desirable result in in some kind of market disturbance. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't think you can get quite as levered as, as BitMEX, but the difference is, is that the the liquidation points are basically known by everyone. Whereas on BitMEX, BitMEX knows your liquidation points and people think that they trade against you. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you know. I'm, I'm pretty sure that BitMEX makes a lot of money by having over leveraged individuals just get wrecked. Um, I can't imagine yeah. how much like cryptocurrency that exchange has made just by wiping people out. Um, especially during recent times, because there's so many people being like, "This is the last time you'll ever see ten thousand dollar Bitcoin." I'm like, "Yeah, someone's gonna lose a lot of money on Bitmax if they believe that." <laughs> Slap yourself if you sold Bitcoin <laughs> under ten thousand dollars, as the famous CZ tweet goes, which he has been widely widely mocked about, and that was from like a year ago. That tweet. Yeah, and Binance doesn't even have like that extreme um, margin trading. It's yeah, it's um, it's still very risky to participate in these types of um, these types of positions, and it's it's also really hard to uh, intermediate. In the end, the Nexus Mutual vote wasn't very 
uh, close. If I saw the results, it was like more than 90% of the coin weighted vote voted not to actually uh, pay out. Yeah, it right. was like 99.999%. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't even close. Um, there was one person that voted on one claim with like $10 or something right to 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 pay out the claim literally <laughs> everyone else voted no i mean it wasn't it just didn't seem like a very close call I, again like if if somebody points out something in the code that didn't actually work then i think a claim would have a chance but um i don't know i mean the the, the so far the only thing that is proximal is that so mm -hmm. yeah and i'm happy that's kind of blown over um, it's, yeah, <laughs> it definitely had me like worried fundamentally when you hear a project as big as Maker potentially having, um, solvency or even, um, initially I thought it was a problem with the code until I dug deeper into the problem itself. Um, yeah, it definitely, definitely brings some strange and uh, negative attention to like all of the other projects and it's really strange how that happens because you wouldn't instantly assume just because two banks are both using us dollar that if one of them goes under the other one will too excluding like larger scale market forces and things like that however if maker has a fundamental problem it's hard not to extrapolate and say all of DeFi will feel the knock-on repercussions of it um, since it is such a dominant asset in most DeFi products yeah it is it's it's also interesting if you think about it the amount of dye that's in circulation is relatively small compared to the amount of usdc <laughs> and those two even combined are much smaller than the amount of tether. <laughs> right. Uh, so, you know, even though Maker is the foundation of DeFi, the amount of people that are actually using this stuff is still relatively small. In fact, I even know some VCs that like don't use any of the stuff that they invest in, which is insane to me. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's like we need. I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't. I don't necessarily believe in like shaming people that don't don't use this stuff that buy ETH or whatever, um, or or the unsustainable orange meme coin. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's it it's strange. You know, it's die is a million a million die in circulation, whereas USDC is six hundred or something now. So. Um, to be fair, there is some degree of maker is is dependent on ETH, the price of ETH, right? Because um, there's just a natural percent at which it can't grow anymore, right? Because DAI is literally just collateralized ETH. Right. So Over collateralized ETH by at least 150%. Right. Yeah. At least it yeah, should and it be is, after the flop. <laughs> and and it is it is like a great a great thing that Maker survived, you know, relatively unscathed. Uh, I, I frankly I think completely unscathed. I mean, I, I think there are some people that are upset because you know they 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 got liquidated in, in auctions, um, but 
uh, that was always a risk. I mean, that it's an auction, you know. I mean, right. it was it was fully disclosed. <laughs> and it's not like they were like, oh, they had their um, ether like rehypothecated once, right? Like it's not like they turned their die into ether. Sorry, their ether into die just once. They probably did it like over and over and over again with knock-on repercussions so that they could get like the maximum leverage out of it. And once it did actually hit that threshold, then they weren't able to uh, to deposit die into the system right away. Um, then their leveraged position just got liquidated. Um, it's just that the price at which it got liquidated was unexpectedly low for very specific trades. And yeah, it... It was also very strange because there weren't a lot of uh, CDPs or vaults, I'll, I'll use the new terminology, that got liquidated prior to that single day 30% decline up until that point, despite the fact that there had been a lot of volatility. Um, there were lots of other liquidations that were happening in Compound and uh, DYDX, um, but there weren't and a Ave. lot. And Ave as well, but all the Ave sudden, actually came into some Telegram groups and asked, like, "Hey, can anybody help us liquidate stuff?" <laughs> oh, really? Because they were yeah. like, they basically didn't have enough uh, people liquidating the assets. They're like, "Who wants some arbitrage profits? Anyone? Any takers?" <laughs> yeah, I think it was a liquidity, a die liquidity crunch, right? Wow. Where okay. the you know die was selling for one oh eight or something like that, yeah. and the profits from making uh were less i don't know so of course you know it wasn't even clear if you should necessarily liquidate the liquidate um rather than going to usdc mm -hmm. um, right although i think it actually was but i mean you know <laughs> whatever anyway maybe i, I should hold some die weeds on that one <laughs> maybe i should hold some die for the next liquidity crunch <laughs> yeah it's like a speculative asset now uh, when you could arbitrage it. But that was the whole idea. The whole idea was supposed to be that if you could arbitrage it against something that was equivalent to the dollar, you had the economic incentives to do so. But it's also kind of strange when you have all of these new systems up and they're cannibalizing on each other, on like a scarce resource, which was die in that very moment. It's like the more popular compound gets the harder it is for AVA um, to liquidate their loans indirectly because of competition for DAI. And if it all happens at the same time and there's a lot of liquidation simultaneously on all of these platforms, then maybe the competition for DAI prices those arbitrage opportunities out in a way that a lot of people wouldn't have foreseen. <clears throat> that still should prevent ether for being sold for near zero but <laughs> i don't think it'll happen again yeah i mean the the funny thing is you know the they had to well they didn't have to i, I suppose there was other options but the you know they enabled usdc to be collateralized in order to make die just to get out of the liquidity crunch hmm. uh to bring the to bring die down to a dollar um you know it, it wasn't even a, a clear to a lot of smart people at first when they did it but like, why would you ever collateralize something that is worth a dollar 
in order to mint something that is worth a dollar. <laughs> but then you realize that, you know, you can, and pay interest on it as well, because you got to pay, pay the die stability fee, right. uh, which was set at 20% for USDC. But then you realize that, you know, you can, you know, one die is worth 1.09 USDC. So it was actually a way to bring it back into the peg. Right. So Anywho. it was like a, it was an easier arbitrage opportunity that didn't actually require any position or perspective on either ether or bat, which both would fluctuate compared to the dollar. And you would have to take a speculative position. You're like, do I want to get locked up in ether or bat that I could trade for die when the market is tanking 30 percent like right now? Um, well, well, yeah. And I mean, at, the, at that time, too uh you, you know those aren't gas gas cheap operations right i right. i don't remember how much it takes to 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 open a a, a vault mm-hmm. i think it's around a million a million a million gas wow so you're i mean and and gas prices were at 150 so i mean you're talking what like a hundred bucks or something to to do a cdp and that and then I think there's some more operations as well that you have to do after you open it up, right? In order to get your die. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, 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 yeah, that makes sense that in a time of falling prices and massive, massive gas prices, people didn't want to open up these um, big, big, uh, big gas operations. Anyway, it survived a 50% crunch in one day. I think that is. Uh, uh, personally, I think it's more impressive than you know the the peak to the the peak to to trough drop of ETH, which was you know like over ninety percent from fourteen forty to eighty two dollars uh, from in twenty eighteen, so mid January to mid December. I think that was actually less impressive than surviving a fifty percent drop um, like this one. So. Yeah, I don't know. Good, good, good for them. I think it'll be interesting to see whether people that are really upset about USDC being added to the as possible collateral, whether that evaporates as everyone, you know, closes their USDC um, vault and USDC only becomes something that people use in a crisis. It has a twenty percent um, maintenance uh, fee compared yeah. to something ridiculously low like 0.5 last time i checked for ether so yeah. this is the inter- this is like the annual effective interest rate you have for maintaining the vault um, over a year and you would essentially pay a 20 percent um, interest rate for borrowing against your own collateral in order to mint die with USDC while it's much lower for other tokens. And that was their initial reaction. Their initial reaction was like, oh no, we need more die in the system. So they dropped the stability fee. It's called the stability fee, correct? Yep. Yeah. So they dropped the stability fee for Ether uh, Vault, but it's like near zero <laughs> at this point. Um, and they dropped it rapidly. They even changed the rules to be able to drop it faster. Um, in the time of the crisis and yeah it's um it's interesting i once i actually realized um through your explanation just now actually that they use usdc um 
as collateral as a way to close arbitrage opportunities, then it makes a lot of sense, right? Because if DAI is overpriced um, or it's trading at a premium, then a lot of the assumptions that have been written into like the various auction mechanisms um, don't work as intended per se. Um, if I'm not mistaken, 1.08 is probably the farthest it's been from a dollar since very early on. Early on in uh, Dai's life cycle, I remember it got to 1.05 at one point. Um, but yeah, that's that's a uh, 8% is a lot for a stable coin to be <laughs> off of its intended peg. So at this point I have to I have to interject with the fact that that steam <laughs> Do you know where I'm about to say? No. Steam has a stable coin. What? Uh and of course yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean a lot of people don't know this. I, and and so you know Dan Larimer, he did BitShares, uh, and then he did Steam, and then he went on to do EOS. Uh, he tends to get bored after oh, he cashes okay. out of a project. Hold up, hold up, hold up. You mean Steam.it? I was t thinking Steam, the gaming portal. Started yeah, no, by no. For okay, Steam.it. Well, Steam it. Got it. Okay. <laughs> so Dan is known for these super, super complicated, uh, centralized, you know, DPoS uh, things. Anyway, so Steam uh, has a stablecoin, and in fact, BitShares was was you know basically a a stablecoin project of a sort back in the day. Uh, and so, what do you think their stablecoin is selling at? Their Steam dollar is selling at right now. It's selling at seventy four cents. Uh, <laughs> even better, uh, and of course, like a, a week ago, it was selling at a dollar forty. Um, what? Wow. Even better, at one point in 2017, Steam's dollar stablecoin was selling for like $14 or something. <laughs> that sounds like, like a there was selling a long... opportunity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it it, it it is funny though, you know, because it, it, it humans are weird creatures. And when everybody's doing something and you know they're going to keep doing it for a certain period of time, it can be rational for you to do the irrational thing. And uh, so you, anyway. Uh, I that just sounds that interesting. It's, just, it's a funny, funny side note. That sounds interesting as like uh, an economic research study. Like, how did they mess up so bad? <laughs> That's impressive. How did they mess up so bad yet it's still running? Well, of course, you know, it's now been forked off now that Justin Sun attacked it and tried to move it to Tron. And the community was like, whoa, hold on a second. We're not. Um, we're not going to let you collude with Binance and Huobi to take over our chain. And they became Hive. Um, but uh, I guess to like quote a friend of mine, he said this like a few years ago, he said, uh, Dan Larimer tries to make his, his things complicated because it's easier for him to profit off them rather than like simple and, and more likely to work. <laughs> Which, <laughs> it's quite, it's, it's a cynical take, but there are some, I don't know. I will. I will leave you to examine Dan's record to see if you think it makes sense or not. That's an, an exercise for the listener, I suppose. Anyone who's like worked a lot in software realizes what an art form it is to make things simple. 
it's even harder to make things work, but it's very hard to make things simple. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they're more likely to work if it is simple in the long term. For Less a long parts. term, yes. <laughs> in the long run, for sure. So well, I think we, what's our last thing to talk about here? If you have the time um, to briefly explain what Vitalik's long-term roadmap has done. Vitalik put out an infographic that we'll link in the show notes, breaking down a lot of the um, former pie-in-the-sky research ambitions that have now become concrete with engineering delivery deadlines, and he's broken up the roadmap of ETH2 into like nice to have, going to happen, and happening already. Um, do you want to kind of break that down a little bit in more detail? Yeah. Uh, so he 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 tweeted out. I guess this was probably late last week. Uh, I think it was the 18th. Uh, this is this is my approximate view of the next you know five to ten years. And it was funny, a lot of people said, oh, this stuff isn't happening for five to 10 years. And actually, uh, so if you look at it, it starts, you know, it's, it's, it, it, it's a, it starts with a, a, a box that it says today. And then there are four different paths from there. And then everything else is a, is a sub path of those four paths. And so the, the first, the first is like just going from top down is ETH1X other, ETH1X statelessness, phase zero prep, and phase two and beyond. Uh, so I would basically say there is, um, there's basically sort of a a time element to this. So the the first one, which is ETH1X other, is basically the things that are people are working on right now. So there are cryptographic curve precompiles to make the ETH2 light client work inside of ETH1. Um, which is better for rollups and some other curve precompiles to make, you know, zero knowledge stuff work better in in general. Um, there are there's EIP one five five nine, which is of course the the fee market change, which will make it easier to use, uh, so that you don't have to spend as much time, or hopefully any time, looking at gas prices. You can just make a transaction on the network. Uh, and then there's account abstraction, which uh, you know I don't know. We've been talking about that for years. Um, I'm not actually really that confident that's going to happen. I mean, it's, it's always being talked about, but it's actually quite tricky. And um, yeah. Anyway, those were the three things under under this ETH1X other section. The the next thing is 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 a little further out, um, but it's it's ETH1 and it's stateless. So it's most people are calling this stateless Ethereum now. Uh, which is a little bit confusing because ETH2 will be stateless, but this is just the research topics that need to be figured out in order to make uh, ETH1 stateless. Uh, so it's things like uh, the hex. Right now we have a excuse me, we have a hex tree. Uh, so we'll be changing that to a binary tree um, for for storage. Um, the state the state tree. Um, there will be a bunch of opcodes that get repriced um, in terms of operations on the EVM. Uh, so basically, some things will become a little bit more 
uh, expensive to run and some things will become cheaper. So things that uh, load things like into storage, into state will become a lot more expensive. And then things that uh, things like rollups will become a lot cheaper. Um, so this, this 3000 transactions a second that we can get on the EVM right now out of rollups should be should go up quite a bit in the future. And then there's like the uh, of these four that I mentioned, the third one is is he calls it phase zero prep, but it's really just ETH2. And it's all the things that are going into ETH2 and is very much in in action and phase zero should lie should launch, you know, imminently, uh, presumably this summer, and then getting into phase one. And so phase zero is just getting the ETH2 chain live. And then we start talking about how we turn off proof of work um, by moving ETH2 or ETH1 into ETH2 and then launching shards. And so then like the fourth thing, which is the things that are, are farther away. And I, I made a point, uh, I published this morning, the annotated edition on my, on my site, uh, evanvanness.com, which is, uh, these are the more long-term things. So, um, the, you know, they published a thing like with very new math, like polynomial commitments for, um, for replacing, for replacing state roots. And, you know, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not a mathematician or a cryptographer. So I understand that at a high level, <laughs> but if you want me to explain it to you, that's going to be a lot more complicated. Um, uh, I mean, I, you know, like I said, like they just published the, the idea, uh, you know, a week or two ago. So I don't think that is happening. I mean, that is more like five years away. And then things like CBC Casper, which is Vlad's version of, 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 of a consensus protocol, you know, that's also not going to happen in the next two years. That stuff is far away. Same with stuff like, you know, the post quantum uh, crypto, um, you know, using a, a Stark uh, or, or even a zero, a snark um, uh, is like in a VM like that, like as the VM, that's, that's also quite far away, I, I would say. Um, so, yeah, uh, but it's it's interesting because you know Vitalik was was out there and like just decided he was going to put together how all the pieces worked, which was useful. Uh, I think it is a a useful graphic to come to. He didn't come to consensus, so this is like with everyone else. He just decided to publish it, so it is literally just his uh, view on that particular day a week ago, and things will change. Uh, obviously as time progresses, you know, I mean, we may find out that it's a lot easier to do polynomial, polynomial commitments or something tomorrow. And then maybe that timeline gets accelerated, but yeah, that was a lot of rambling about where the ETH roadmap is. And uh, you should definitely check out the tweet and the, uh, and the, and the, and the graphic along with it. Sure. You'll, um, you'll find it in the show notes. And um, the last thing that I want to mention before we close today's shows is that um, they're also working to solidify the uh, standard BLS signature. And this time, we're actually waiting for um, the specific uh, 
international uh, governing agency to come to a consensus regarding how these BLS signatures will happen before we implement it into our base protocol. Um, and yeah, we're, uh, we're essentially progressing on very tangible, concrete things and the solidification of the BLS signature and which implementation of the BLS signature that we will use uh, will probably come to a consensus as soon as uh, possible and then we'll start rolling out the beacon chain, start issuing the deposit contracts so you could actually make deposits um, that are all dependent on the signature. And um, yeah, that's something that's part of the phase zero preparation that's uh, currently happening in the EIP process as well, if you're interested in that. Well, Fun story, this, this sort of happened on ETH1 where ETH, ETH1, Ethereum wanted to use SHA-3, and so they they picked SHA-3 and went with it. And then at the last minute, the IETF changed a little thing, and of course, in a hashing function, that is that is everything, right? Like, <laughs> So if you change one little bit, it changes the whole thing completely. And so now Ethereum uses Ketchak, and not SHA-3. So it's they like use... the only, only usage of this catch act instead of SHA-3. They correctly so predicted which again. submission would win, and then they use their round three submission implementation, but they changed the way they handled a single bit of padding, which changed the entire hash from the actual SHA-3 implementation. So because they essentially like jumped the gun on the final implementation of Ketchak, um, the Ethereum protocol itself is not up to NIST standards because it uses non-standard hashing. <laughs> um, awesome. Thanks for joining us again this week, Evan. Um, thanks to our listeners. See you next week. Yeah, bye-bye. Well, I, I gotta run.